Hallelujah. Who's glad to be at church on a Sunday night? Yes. All right. Very good. Well, I'm not used to doing a T-shirt even on Sunday nights, but again, this is our advertisement, and uh, I'm just telling you, this shirt brought in over $1,000 to me, so anyway, all right. Uh, well, we're going to continue tonight uh, in a series we started a couple of Sunday mornings ago called Three in One, and we're, we're talking about, uh, you know, a, a lot of times if I just throw out the phrase three in one, especially in a church, the first thing that's going to come to your mind is the Holy Trinity, Amen. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God is three in one. But as we saw just a couple of weeks ago, according to Genesis 1:26, God has created mankind in his image. And because of that, God also made us a three-part being. We're made of spirit, soul, and body. There's not most people, they just don't get it. They think that the real you is just, you know, this earth suit, as my dad says, that you can see. They think that this skin and this hair is the real David Samples, but it's not. There's a lot more to me than just skin and bones, and there's a lot more to you than just skin and bones. There's something deeper on the inside. A human being is made up of three parts. According to the Bible, we saw plenty of places for that, all the way back to the Old Testament, all the way into the New Testament, where, you know, Paul said, I pray that your spirit soul and body will be preserved and kept blameless to the, to the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in the book of Hebrews, it says that the word of God is alive and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, and it divides between soul and spirit. Because yet again, a lot of people just think that the soul and the spirit are the same thing, but according to the Bible, they are not the same thing. And there's, you know, there's some, some confusion that could go along those lines. So in the first part of our study, we looked at the body, the flesh. And we saw that it's not a very good thing when your flesh is the dominant part of your being, because most of the time your flesh doesn't feel like doing holy spiritual things, right? Your flesh, you know, feels like going out on an eating binge and eating, you know, tons of food every day. And that's, you know, that's wrong. You can't do that. You do that. That's going to bring harm into your life. Your flesh at times feels like lusting. It feels like looking at things it shouldn't look at. It feels like getting angry and striking another human being, that's wrong. And that will bring destruction to your life if you let your flesh rule you. And so this week, we're going to look at the next part of who you are, and that is your soul. Now, here's where so many people get confused, you know, thinking that their soul is the real you, but it's just a part of you. And it's also not a good thing to let your soul be the dominant part of who you are. And we'll see next week that your spirit, your born again spirit is who Jesus wants to rule who you really are. Because if you're a Christian, your spirit does want to love other people. Your spirit does want to do the right thing. Your spirit wants to go to church, whether your body or your soul feel like it or not. And so we're going to look at the soul tonight. And that's the second part of who you are. So let's go ahead and open in prayer. And we're going to break this down tonight. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you, Lord, so much uh, for just all the great things that have happened at our church today, Lord. And, and we pray tonight that as we're here, you will open our hearts and our minds to your word. Lord, I pray you'll speak things to us that we need to hear. You know what we need to hear tonight, Lord. You know what each person in here is facing in their life. And you have the answers. So speak to us tonight, Lord, and bring us up to a higher level for you. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. And so the, the human, the soul can also be broken down into three parts. And, and, and it just goes down right to this. 
your mind, your will, and your emotions. And a lot of you have, have heard this before, but your soul is breaks down basically into being your mind and your emotions. Okay? And so I want to look for a few minutes here at, number one, our emotions. Because who in here could say that it's probably not a good idea to let your emotions rule you? It's probably not a good idea to make emotional decisions, especially major life decisions based out of your emotions. I know some people, every time they get mad, they're just like, that's it, I'm moving, I'm out of here, I'm going to move, you know, to, well, you know, Timbuktu, and I'm just, and they, why would you threaten to move you and your, you know, all the way to some other part of the world because you got mad at somebody right now? That is very, very dumb to make major decisions based out of your emotions because your emotions will usually lead you in the wrong direction. And that's being guided by your soul, not your spirit. And so everybody has emotions. God gave them to you. That is part of who you are. God gave you the ability to be really, really happy sometimes. That's an emotion. God gave you this emotion of excitement. There's appropriate times for that. God gave you the emotion of sadness and sorrow. There are appropriate times for that. God did give us the emotion of anger because, believe it or not, anger can be a good thing when contained and used in a productive way. There's a thing called righteous anger, righteous indignation. Jesus got angry, but it was for a righteous cause, and he used that anger to do something good with. And so there are things in this world that make me angry. I do not like you know, seeing killings on the news, that makes me angry. I don't like seeing people get robbed and mugged. I don't like seeing people kill innocent children in mothers' wombs. That makes me very angry, okay? And there's nothing wrong with that. I don't go and blow up Planned Parenthood. That's the wrong way to do it. But I can pray and I can use that anger in a positive direction. So God, God gave you the ability to get angry, but you don't let anger control you because when you do, Bad things happen. And so you're never going to get rid of your emotions because it is God's will for you to have emotions. Okay, that's part of a healthy human being is to have the ability to get angry, happy, sad. You just use it in the right in the right way. So I want to show you a verse here tonight in Proverbs chapter 14. So let's look at Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 29. Could you use your emotion of excitement tonight? (laughs) Proverbs chapter 14. All right. We, uh, we're not a quiet church, if you haven't noticed. We're a pretty loud, crazy bunch of people. Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 29. We'll read this in the, in the New Living Translation. But the book of Proverbs has a lot to say about your emotions and how you use them. But Proverbs 14, verse 29, it says, People with understanding control their anger. A hot temper shows great foolishness. Now, the anger and temper, that's just one part of your emotions. But listen to this. People with understanding, they control their anger. So it's not a sin to be angry, but it is a sin to let anger control you. And it says you're going to do foolish things. A hot temper, it shows great foolishness. And I don't want to be known as somebody that's foolish and, and does dumb things all the time. And somebody with a hot temper that is just they're controlled by their emotions. They have a soul problem right here. They, they do foolish things. Their temper gets them into trouble, and the Bible says that's a sign of great foolishness. I don't want to be like that, okay? And so I want to show you Proverbs 29, verse 20. Let's flip over there, just a couple more pages. Proverbs chapter 29 and verse 20. Proverbs 29, verse 20. 
And I'll read this one in the NIV. Proverbs 29, verse 20, it says, Do you see someone who speaks in haste? There is more hope for a fool than for them. Wow. Now, haste means in the heat of the moment or, or uh, just in the spur of the moment. And it says, do you, if you see somebody that just speaks in haste, do you know anybody that just speaks in haste? They just, they just say whatever is on their mind. And, you know, praise God for honesty. We want you to be honest with us. We want you to, you know, that, that's great. But it is a problem if you're just so emotional that you just, you just blurt whatever it is you're feeling right then without thinking about it. When you speak in haste, it says there's more hope for a fool than for somebody that just speaks all the time without thinking. And your mouth, if you haven't noticed this, can get you into a whole lot of trouble, can it? I mean, you're, if, you just, if you don't have a filter, and I know so many people are like, well, that's just me. I just I call it like I see it. I just, boom, I, everybody knows that about me. I just say what I feel like saying. I don't care who it hurts. Too bad. Get over it. That's just who I am. That's just that's who I am. And I'm like, man, that is stupid. You're a fool if you act like that. If you have no control over your mouth, if you just call it like it is, just tell everybody what's on your mind, there's a time for that. And there's also a time to restrain thyself and shut your pie hole, right? You know what I mean? There's a time to not just say what's on your mind. There's a time to not speak in haste because when you speak in haste, you say things that you regret. Now, you may have really meant it at that moment. You were mad at that person or you were just so excited that you offered to buy everybody there. You know, you offered to buy everybody's dinner all of a sudden because you were so happy. Then you realize that you have four dollars and you can't afford to buy every you spoke in haste. You know what I mean? So speaking in haste isn't just about anger or, or temper. Sometimes in a moment of excitement and, and great happiness, you can also say things that later on you shouldn't have said. Because it was in haste. It was an emotional decision. I was reading an article that Joyce Meyer wrote, and she's got great teaching in the area of emotions, okay? Joyce Meyer's very good uh, in this area because it's just something that she's dealt with. But she was talking about, you know, a lot of times it's just moments of excitement can get you in trouble. Not, you know, again, not just anger, but she's like, take, for instance, somebody that they made a decision to get out of debt. They made a decision to spend their money wisely, and they've made a promise to God and their family, I'm going to spend wisely, and I'm not going to make any more crazy decisions. So then they go to the mall. And something they've wanted for a long time is 50% off. What do you do? I mean, you made a commitment to God that you weren't going to spend anything else right now. No more of that and to your family. But all of a sudden, you're really, really excited. You've wanted this for a long time, and it's 50% off, and it's only this, this sale for only two more days. And if you don't get it now, it could all be gone. And what am I going to do? I've got to do it right now. This is so exciting. And then you make some crazy decision out of excitement. You broke your word to God, you broke your word to your family. And yes, it may have been on sale, but in a moment of excitement, you did something with your emotions that you said you weren't going to do anymore. So we've got to check our emotions. Don't let your emotions control you. Don't make decisions out of haste. Don't make hasty decisions because they do end up costing you. And so that's one part of your soul is your emotions. And then the next thing here is this is your will. It's your will. And we all know that human beings have a will, right? I mean, and some people are very strong willed. Do you know some people like that? And it's good to have a strong will. It's good to be, you know, a strong willed person. But again, if your will controls you 
more than God's will, then you start to get yourself in trouble all over again. So I want to show you something here in Psalm 23. Let's look at the 23rd Psalm. Now, this is a good one. And I'm sure a lot of you, you know, you know this. It's one of the most famous chapters in the whole Bible. It's Psalm 23. I love this. All right. We all know verse 1 here. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That means I shall not do without because God's my shepherd. I have everything I need right there. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. I just, I love to read that. But verse 3 says, he restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And I want to see that right there. It says, he restores my soul. What does that mean? Well, you know, I, one time that this verse really became alive to me, I was in a situation where I, I had just lost the will to go on in a certain area. And, and I was like, you know what? It's just whatever. I'm done. I, I quit. This, I, I, I don't even feel like going on anymore. I don't have the will to go on. And I, I'm reading my Bible one day, and I know that your soul is your mind, will, and emotions. And I see Psalm 23, verse 3, and it says, he restores your soul. And it just spoke to me right then. I'll restore your will. I will renew your will to go on in this area. I'll, I'll strengthen it again. I'll give you the will to fight on and keep going. And so maybe you've lost your will to, to keep doing something that you need to be doing. Maybe, you know, whatever that is. It could be a, a job, a relationship, serving the Lord in some area. Maybe you're just like, I don't have the will to go on anymore. I just, I just can't make myself do it. Well, according to Psalm 23, verse 3, you can pray and God will restore your will. He will renew your will to go on and keep fighting and doing the right thing. And so God restores your will. And, and I'll tell you this, that the human will is a powerful thing. Who can, who can say amen to that? The human will is it's a powerful thing. And I don't really, you know, there's this, there's this phrase, and it's kind of true, but, you know, where they say, you can do anything you set your mind to. And, well, you can do a lot of things you set your mind to, but you can't do anything you set your mind to. And I, I hate to, you know, pop your balloon if that's, you know, that's been your life motto. But... If you say that, and that's your life motto, you are completely relying on yourself, your mind, your intellect, and your soul. And your soul, your mind, will, and emotions can lead you in the wrong direction. Your will can lead you in the wrong direction. And listen to this. There will be things that you come up against that you've set your mind to. There are some things that the human mind just can't do. There's, there's eventually a battle that, that your mind just, it's not going to be able to think its way out of it. It's not going to be able to study its way out of it and beat a disease or, or, or beat, you know, some problem. Listen, God is the answer to everything ever, right? With God, all things are possible. Not with anything you set your mind to, all things are possible. And so don't rely on your mind and your will like so many people do. And it is true. The human will is powerful. And when somebody sets their mind to something and their will, human beings have done incredible things just out of their will and out of their mind. But you can't do it all. There is eventually a time where you'll run into something that you just can't get past 
on your own, even if you've really set your mind to it. And so I'm telling you, don't rely on your mind, will, and emotions. You've got to rely on your born-again spirit. Your born-again spirit through Jesus Christ can do anything that God's called you and told you to do. And one of the hardest things that God asks us to do is lay down our will. God asks us to lay down your will for God's will. And one of the things out of three trillion that I love about Jesus is that he would never ask us to do something that he himself was not willing to do. Jesus, when he was on this earth, faced all the same tests and trials that we face. And it's very interesting when you look at his moment in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? He's praying the night before. He, he's getting ready to be crucified and everything. He's praying, and, and we see right here a moment of battle between Jesus' spirit, soul, and body. His body is shaking. He's sweating blood, and, and his body is telling him, do not do this. Get out of this. Because anybody, if you know you're getting ready to get ripped apart, nobody's going to say, man, I'm, I'm really looking forward to this. I would just, I love pain. No, even Jesus wasn't looking forward to getting massacred the next day. Of course not. And so he starts praying, God, you know, if, if there's any other way. And, and you see this, this tugging going on. But Jesus, in a moment of prayer, says something so profound. He says, nevertheless, not my will be done but thy will be done. And so Jesus, in this moment, you see it. His soul and his body are teaming up on his spirit saying, no, don't do this. Find another way. Get out of this. You can't do this. You're, it's going to hurt so bad. And, and Jesus, his spirit rises up and says, no, I am going to do this. I am going to go through with this. Not my way, but your way. Not my will, but thy will be done. And in our lives, there will be times, there will be times where God is telling us to do something that we just flat out really don't want to do, okay? There's going to be times where, you know, God has asked me to do things that I have not wanted to do. And if I was just of the mindset, well, I, anything my mind says to do, I, I, whatever, you know, if I was of that, my will, I'm a strong-willed person. Listen, there's times where you've got to lay your will down and say, I really, my will is to not do this, Lord. My will is to go some other way, just like Jonah did. I'm not going to go to Nineveh. I'm going to go to Tarshish. I'm going to, I just, my will is anywhere but right here. If you're a person that's controlled by your soul, by your emotions, by your strong mind, and by your will, you're not going to be able to lay it down at that moment because you're so connected. You're so attached to how strong of a will you've always had. You're going to have to be like Jesus and say, I really don't want to do this, but I'm not going to do things my way. We're going to do them your way. And you're going to get to that place where your soul does not control you, where your spirit is the one that controls you, and you can lay things down. And so we've got our emotions we've seen. We've got our mind that we looked at. And then we, or we've got our will. Now we're going to look at our mind, okay? We're going to look at the mind. And, you know, I'm not a psychologist, so I'm not, I'm not going that direction with this. But I'm going to show you some stuff out of the Bible here. Let's look at Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. So do not be a person dominated by your emotions, by your strong will, or by your mind. Philippians chapter 4 
verses 6 and 7. And this is the most important thing we're going to talk about tonight is being a person that can control their mind through the word of God. Philippians 4 verses 6 and 7 says, Be anxious for nothing, but in prayer by but, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Now, this is an amazing couple of verses. I love these verses so much. They've really ministered to my life in a lot of ways. But notice this passage addresses the soul right from the beginning in verse 6. It says, be anxious for nothing. That's talking about anxiety. Anxiety is a soul problem, right? That, I mean, if you're full of anxiety, that's an emotional issue that needs dealt with. And, and the Bible says right here to don't be full of anxiety for anything. Nothing is worth that. Don't be anxious for anything at all. Anxiety is a soul problem. But I also want to point out here in verse 7, it says, The peace of God will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. This is yet again another verse that separates the soul and the spirit. Biblically speaking, the heart, unless it very specifically talks about your physical blood pump, the heart is normally talking about your spirit. You know, Proverbs says, guard your heart above all else. That's not talking about your physical heart. It's guard your spirit above everything else, for it affects everything you do. Out of it flow the issues of life. So right here, it says the peace of God, it will guard your, your hearts, okay, your spirits, and your minds through Christ Jesus. And I'm telling you, there is nothing in this world better than the peace of God. Money cannot buy the peace of God. I see some extremely rich people that do not have the peace of God. They are full of, according to verse 6, anxiety. They're anxious for everything. They got so much anxiety and fear and anger and rage, and they are an emotional basket case because they're ruled by their soul and by their flesh, and they are just a danger going somewhere to happen, and it's a bad thing to look at. But it says right here, if we will, through prayer, supplication, thanksgiving, just let our request be made known unto God, we can have the peace of God, which surpasses all human understanding. What does that phrase mean, it surpasses all understanding? That means that the peace of God cannot even be understood. It is so wonderful that the human mind cannot comprehend the peace of God. It makes no sense whatsoever how you could be going through one of the biggest trials of your life, but you're just standing there whistling, singing praises to God like nothing's going on. And people are looking at you like, what is wrong with you? Don't you realize? Don't you see the danger all around you? Don't you see what's going on in this world? People are shooting each other. People are killing each other. They're robbing your babies. They're hitting the stores. And what is wrong with you? You don't have any anxiety at all. And I'm saying, man, I just tell God what I need, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding guards my heart and my mind through Christ Jesus. I don't care what's going on. God has got my back. I'm fine. I'm not going to be anxious for this stuff. I'm not going to be full of anxiety and turmoil. Are you kidding me? Nothing is worth that. I've got the peace of God. It guards my spirit. It guards my soul. God will even guard my body from danger. God has got this. And so 
the number one area, and I believe this, the number one area that Satan wants to attack you in is your mind. He wants to attack your body. Yeah, he'd love to cause a car wreck. He'd love to make you sick. He'd love to come in and steal all your money. Of course he would, all right? We get that. But what most people don't understand is that Satan will do a brutal, nonstop, 24-hour-a-day assault on your mind. He will attack your mind from the second you wake up, and even when you go to bed at night, he will, he will attack your mind in your sleep. He will try to give you bad dreams. He will try to, I mean, he'll give you dreams about somebody else. You wake up angry at somebody, and, and it was just a dream. And, you know, you ever seen something like that? You go to work, and you can't, you're, you're mad at these people for something that happened in a dream. Satan will attack your mind all day long. He'll just keep shooting little, little fiery darts at you. Boom, a fear. Of, of failure, of depression, of anxiety, of, of, of lust, of, of just all these ungodly things just all day long. And I'm telling you, I, I'm serious. He does this to me. Every 30 seconds, if you let him, he'll shoot something at your mind, some bad thought. And what most Christians don't do is they, they the devil, listen, okay, John 8, he is a liar. He's the father of lies. He will plant deceit. And lying thoughts in your mind, and you'll start to take those on as your own thoughts. Yeah, I saw the way he looked. I mean, I'll bet he did mean that. I heard what he said. He probably did mean that. I I can't stand that guy. He's always like that. He's always in a bad mind. Man, I can't believe him. Or, you know what? I I don't see how the money's going to come through this time. It's probably not going to come through. I, you know, we, I don't know what I'm going to do. Here I go. It's, it's just not going to come through. We've got no money. Car's broken down. The dog's sick. Everybody's mad at me. And all of a sudden, man, you're just letting all these thoughts bombard you, and you don't do a thing to stop it. You think that it's you doing that. Listen, the devil will assault your mind from sunrise to sunset and even after dark, and most people don't do a darn thing about it. They just sit there and take these evil thoughts all day long. Listen, when you understand this reality and you get to the place where you, where you start to say, you know what, no. No, God is going to supply all my needs because the Bible says God shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glory. So I don't care if I have the money right now. It's coming in. I don't care if a bird drops it out of the sky. I don't care if a teenage girl hits my van. I, I don't care. It's coming in. And it's not my job to figure God out. It's just going to happen because God never fails. And so many people, they just sit there and take it. So let me show you something here in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 16. Ephesians 6, verse 16. Check it out. And you know this chapter. This is talking about the armor of God. And so it lists all the armor of God. And that's some amazing stuff to study right there. But check this out, Ephesians 6, verse 16. It says this, and in addition to all of these, talking about the rest of the armor, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil, or your King James says the the fiery darts of the wicked one. And so the devil is firing these fiery little darts. It doesn't say, hold up the shield of faith to stop the devil's bazooka. Right? It doesn't, it doesn't say, hold up the shield of faith because he's going to fly over your head with an F-15 and drop an atomic bomb on you. It's nuclear. Watch out. No, it says, hold up the shield of faith so you can stop, you can quench 
the fiery arrows, the fiery darts of the wicked one. And, I mean, every Bible scholar I've read after, it, it, they talk about these fiery darts are things that the devil's firing at your mind, at your mind. And Rick Renner, if you don't know who he is, he is an amazing Christian theologian, okay? And he's actually, he's, he's a word of faith, spirit-filled man, uh, and, and he has his doctorate degree in biblical Greek, okay? So that may not mean a lot to some of you guys. But if you, there's so many people, you know, we look at, you know, well, this word in the Greek means this, but he, I, he has a degree in biblical Greek. He can read the New Testament and legitimately, truly just get it, man. And it's awesome. And so unless you're just like a Bible nerd like me, that may not mean a thing to you, but the guy has a doctorate in biblical Greek. It's awesome. And so anyway, he's from America here, but he pastors a church in Moscow, Russia. And his church, Tony Cook, who was here a few months ago, preaches at his church. He's got this massive mega church in the former Soviet Union. And he, uh, he's got, I love it when we got the fans on here. But he's got this massive church. He just built this brand new several million dollar building in Russia that he paid cash for. And, and the Russian government, as Tony Cook was telling us, they sent some government officials there for the grand opening of his new church building. So I'm telling you. The guy's successful. He's not a fool. He really, really gets the Bible. But I was reading his commentary on Ephesians 6.16, and he said, The words fiery darts are from the Greek word bellos. Now, listen to this. This is interesting. It says, It referred to an arrow with its tip wrapped with fabric soaked in flammable fluids so it would burn with hot and angry flames. So they would get an arrow. They would they wrap up the tip in this cloth that was soaked in some kind of a flammable fluid. And this is before they had bombs and guns and everything. But this is pretty smart. This is a pretty genius plan. This is Roman soldiers, technically. But check this out. It says, the, frame, the famous Greek writer Thucydides used this Greek word bellows to depict specially made long, slender arrows that outwardly looked harmless. You'd look at it and say... You're going to shoot me with that little arrow? <laughs> kidding me? That's all you've got? Well, check it out. This arrow was not just any arrow. This is a fiery dart. It says that upon impact, it exploded into a raging fire just on impact. This arrow is most likely the picture that Paul had in his mind when he wrote about the fiery darts of the wicked. Often when the devil strikes, his attack looks inconsequential at first, like harmless little arrows that can do just a little damage. But when those arrows strike into the heart or the emotions, they often explode and set human passions aflame, causing a minor issue to develop into a fierce, flaming situation. How many times has some little dart from the wicked one, just, just a little, little thought, it's come in and you haven't done a thing about it, and after a while, this little, this looks like a harmless thing, it comes in and it ignites the human passions, man. It, it causes just something, the next thing you know, you have a blow-up on your hands because you didn't hold up the shield of faith and block the fiery darts of the wicked one. And Satan loves for this to happen. And so many people just don't realize that they, they, don't, they don't do anything about it. They just keep letting these thoughts come to them all day long. And I'm telling you, I don't, I don't do that anymore. The devil throws thoughts at me, but I handle it. The Bible way. And so, and that's what, that's our fourth point tonight. It's this, it's this control the soul. Say it with me. Control the soul. 
I have soul control. And I want to show you here in Romans chapter 12. And this is it. I, I need you to see this. Romans chapter 12. And we're going to look at verses 1 and 2. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. And so if you're someone that's had a lot of emotional issues or, or maybe, you know, just full of these bad thoughts all the time, that's the devil attacking your soul. You've got to do something about it. And I'm going to show you the exact way to handle this where you can win this battle. All right? And, and I, the devil loves to do this, man. And so we've got, we got to overcome the flesh like we saw a couple weeks ago. And then we've got to overcome the soul and use it in the way that God wants us to. But Romans chapter 12 Verses 1 and 2, it says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We've got a couple of soul words in here. It says be, be, re, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you're going to do the will of God. Not your will. The will of God. And so it says right here that you're going to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. As a Christian, you have got to renew your mind. Because check this out. Jesus came in and cleaned your spirit when he died on the cross. And he became born again. You don't have to do something about your spirit now. Jesus took care of your spirit. He washed it and made you white as snow. It doesn't matter how filthy of a person you were before. When you received Jesus into your heart, he came in. He washed you as white as snow with your spirit. This verse here says, though, that we've got to do something about our bodies. We've got to present it to God as a sacrifice. Okay, so you've got to take control of your body and you've got to take control of your soul. Jesus washed your spirit. You've got to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It says you transformed by the renewing of your mind. You have to do this. You have to renew your mind. Jesus washed your spirit. You've got to wash your soul. You've got to wash your mind. You need to wash your body too. Some of you kind of stink. Anyway, so kidding but you've got to you've got to you've got to take control of this it says for you to be transformed by the renewing of your mind how do you renew your mind that's the million dollar question tonight how do you renew your mind by the word of god that's how you renew your mind and listen this stuff works who thinks that the word of god is alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword amen the word of God can renew your mind if you'll use it. And I can tell you this right now. I don't know everything that goes on in your mind, but I do know this. You need a renewed mind. Okay? I don't care. You, you, you have got to wash the mind. You've got to take care of this. And Jesus told you to do it. And so there's a, there's a really um, important verse that I need you to see here. So flip over to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians 10. But the more time you spend on the word, the more it will renew your mind. The more time that you spend with the word of God, the more that it's going to renew your mind. And thus your spirit starts to control your soul. Now, I advertised a, a book out of the bookstore for this series 
called The Threefold Nature of Man. It's just a little tiny book back there in the bookstore. Okay, it's like 30 pages or something. It's a little book. It's like five bucks. But anyway, I was, re- I was reading that again this week. And Brother Hagen pointed out, okay, there, there's a couple of main ways, okay, basically the two main ways you're going to get the Word of God to you, okay? And that is obviously, number one, by reading it yourself and speaking it out yourself. And the second way is also extremely obvious, by coming to church and hearing it preached. These are two very, very important things for you to understand. And obviously, you're here on a Sunday night, so you, you've got a pretty good grasp of this. But if you want to start renewing your mind, if you want to start getting control of the soul, you've got to get into the Word of God. You need to be reading it on your own every day. Now, for some people, that sounds like, that's no big deal. I do that. Good. For some people, it's like, every day? Yes. <laughs> you've got to do it. Every single day. There's a lot of people, man, they would not miss one day of a shower. They'll take a shower every day, sometimes twice a day. But they don't, they don't wash their mind hardly ever. They wash their body all the time, but they hardly ever wash their mind. They do it maybe once a week when they come to church, maybe twice a week if they see a cool verse posted on Facebook. Oh, that's cool. I like that. That's, amen. That's good. All right. Yeah. Now, that, that doesn't count as Bible time, okay? You need, a, you need more than that. You know, and we use the example all the time of feeding, feeding your spirit, okay? Everybody I know eats at least one meal a day, but most people I know, they eat two or three good hot meals a day, and they feed their spirit one cold snack a week. You, can you imagine the damage that would happen to your body if, it, if, it only, if you only ate one meal a week? You're like, well, okay, oh yeah, tomorrow's Sunday, I've got to eat again. I'll get in there and, you know, you take a couple bites, and um, I'm good to go for another seven days. Yeah, I'm good. Yeah, no, it, man, nobody does that. You would die. You'd wither away. If you did live, I mean, you could survive a little while, but I don't think you'd live real long eating one time a week. But if you did, you would be, I mean, the weakest person in the world. You, don't, you wouldn't be able to fight off anything. And so many people, they just don't take care of their spirit or their soul for that matter. And they wonder why they just get beat up all the time. Man, you're a weenie. You're, you're weak. You're a shrimp. You don't ever feed yourself anything spiritually, man. It doesn't take anything at all to come and, I mean, the devil comes and huffs and puffs and you're down on the ground for the count, man. We got to come pick you back up every time. Listen, you've got to start every single day, every day of the week, every day of the year. You need to be reading the Bible every day. And I'm not saying that you miss a day, so now you need to go feel like, man, I'm such a loser. I'm, I don't even know if I'm saved anymore. I missed the Bible yesterday. I don't know if I'm, I'm, is my name blotted out of the book of life? I don't know. Listen, it's, no, 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 no. Don't, don't feel guilty about that. But you need to start taking it seriously. And if you aren't consistently reading the Bible, start doing it. Am I saying, I mean, do you think I'm getting something out of this to tell you to go read your Bible? It does nothing for me when you go read your Bible. I am doing this to help you. This will change your life if you'll get into the Word of God. It'll absolutely change your life. And so many people, they're washing their body, but they're not doing anything to wash their mind. So check this out. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5. It says, Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God. And here's what I want you to see. And bringing into captivity every thought. To the obedience of Christ. Bringing in to captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. If you want to control your soul, you've got to start capturing these thoughts. 
bring them into captivity and bring them to the obedience of Christ. What does that mean? That means when some bad, nasty, negative thought comes to your mind, you don't sit there and say, yeah, that's right. I can't stand that guy. He's always doing that stuff. Man, no. When that thought comes to your mind, you say, no, no, no. I rebuke that thought in the name of Jesus. And then you speak some scriptures to it. Yeah. You're like, that sounds crazy. I'm telling you, do it. Do it. Listen, somebody, you know, unless you like, you know, just living a tortured life and being an emotional wreck all the time, then by all means, continue doing it your way. Or you could do it God's way and capture these thoughts and bring them into obedience to Christ. An example of this would be, again, you know, say that, uh, I don't know, you're at work and, and again, somebody just, you know, maybe they did something you don't like. They gave you a dirty look. And so the thought does come. You know what? I'll bet he meant it that way. Maybe somebody said something and you're not quite sure the meaning. And you're like, yeah, he probably meant it that way. He probably meant that he thinks I'm lazy. He probably meant it this way. But you know what? Here's how you could fight that. You could grab that thought right out of the air and say, you know what? First Corinthians 13, 7 says that love believes the best of every person. I choose to believe that Robert didn't mean it that way. It, it may have sounded that way. I'll believe that he didn't mean that I'm a lazy, no good bum. He probably just meant this. And you're like, you, that's gonna, you're going to be a weak, naive person if you live your life like that, bro. No, I'm serious. If you could just get that verse right there, 1 Corinthians 13, 7, that love believes the best of every person. Do you realize how happy and joyful you are when you stop going around thinking that everybody's out to get you, and that everybody's mean, and that, I mean, you know, I know some people, they have a problem with everybody in their life. They've got problems at work. Everybody at work is mean and doesn't like them. Everybody at home is mean and doesn't like them. People at church are mean and don't like them. They go to the store. People give them They took my parking spot. I mean, people just got problems everywhere. They're a wild mess because they let their thoughts dominate them. But if you could take just this one verse I just gave you, just one verse. You could go look up thousands of other verses. But just that one verse, and when mean thoughts come to you tomorrow about somebody, you can grab that thought right out of the air before, it, before that seed even takes root and sprouts into your life and blows your whole day up. You could take that one thing and say, you know what? Love believes the best of every person. I'll believe that, that he meant it this way. Or, you know, love suffers long and is patient and kind. First Corinthians 13, 4. You know what? Maybe Robert's having a bad day today. I choose to be patient and kind with him. I'm not going to let this ruin my day. I love him, and I'm going to go do something nice for Robert. That, at that point, when you start snatching those thoughts and speaking the word of God back to the situation, you have captivated those thoughts. You've brought them into the obedience of Christ, and you are controlling your soul with your spirit. Whoa. When you get to that place, you have stepped in to a whole new realm of maturity that a whole lot of people just never make it to. A whole lot of people, they're controlled by their emotions and their soul till the day they die. But if some Christians, if they could get to this place where they could start letting the Spirit, letting the Word of God control their souls, you watch out for a Christian like that. I mean, there's, the devil cannot stop that person. They're going to be blessed in the city, blessed in the field, coming and going. They're going to all over the place. Good things are going to happen to them. And better than that, God can use somebody like that. God can't use you if he's every time you go someplace, you get your feelings hurt. And you're like, oh, this is no fair. God can't use you, man. You're, I'm sorry. I'm not being mean. God cannot use you. If you get so offended and hurt all the time because you're such an emotional 
soulful person that your soul controls you and you just, you're all the time, you're up and down. God can't use you for a whole lot. We love you. Keep coming to church. We love you, man. You are always welcome here, but I just don't think that God's going to be able to use you very much because you're, you're too offended all the time. You're too angry all the time. You're, you're just, you're a mess. And that, you know, until you get, until you can control the soul, there's not a lot that God's going to do with you. But you get to the place where you start controlling your soul and you start controlling your body with your spirit, with the word of God. Oh my gosh, just look out. God can do some awesome things through you in a big, big way. And so three in one, God is three in one. You are three in one, spirit, soul, body. Next week, we're going to look at the spirit and we're going to really look at how to let the spirit of inside of you, the born again spirit, dominate and rule who you are through the power of Jesus. And the sky is the limit for what God can do for you and through you at that point. Amen. Control your soul. Let's go ahead and stand up tonight.